have this thing on the board that we require the newsroom is work. Mm. You know, so we encourage people to always debate about the tiniest of things. So the polls on an average day is like a market square where everybody brings an opinion, everybody criticizes it as loudly as possible. And then you go back, sit on your sit uh, with your computer and write the story. You know, that is the kind of <laughs> newsroom <laughs> culture that that so I was a bit I was taken aback that somebody I mean maybe they have a history of disagreements and you know bad uh, bad blood otherwise I don't see how a, this whole thing should have spiraled into a Twitter conversation. Okay, um, Egbaz, thank you for joining me on the Avalon podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice of you to have invited me. So I, I'm sure you followed. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you followed um, the story of brittle um, papers online since it broke. Um, yeah, I think my first question um, to you will be the fact that um, don't you think that the issue was more of an editorial dispute that could have been better handled internally than it was a question of the editor's integrity or moral compass. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with, uh, I totally agree with you. Um, I don't know how it got to the point where... Because let's face it, I, I work for Pulse. Uh, I'm senior editor at Pulse. And before I, uh, before I was next uh, senior editor, I, I used to be news editor. So there's always a hierarchy in the newsroom. And, you know, the way it, it is at Pulse, let me use Pulse as an analogy because that's where I work. The way it is at Pulse, uh, you have you have the editor-in-chief who gets instructions uh, from the from the MD. Then the MD, the, the editor-in-chief reports to the MD. We, the, you know, the editors report to the, the I mean, to the, to the editor-in-chief. And then we have writers as well who answer to the senior editors or editors in this case. You know, so if there's an instruction from the top that look, this is where we are looking at. Um, this story or this article doesn't fit our editorial policy. It's the, the, the directive trickles from the top down to the writers. And there is no writer that would just say, oh, I'm not going to do this because I strongly feel it's not an opinion. It, it, and, and that's why I have a problem with the, with, with the series who, who just went and put out a statement. Because I thought, like you said, this is an internal matter that should have been better. Nobody should be hearing about disagreement in, 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 in the newsroom or, or in, in, in the newspaper house. It's like, it's totally unheard of where disagreements like this now have to spill into the social media space, which was why which was where I was totally very disappointed that the deputy editor-in-chief would just come out with a statement um, blasting or, like we say in social media, dragging, dragging the founder, Eduro, uh, completely and like yeah. and making a show of it. I, I, yeah. I had a problem with that, and yeah. I thought that... Yeah, I thought it could have been better could have handled. Been better, it, yeah, it could have been better handled internally. There was no need for all of us to be part of this drama, no need whatsoever. I mean, you know, I mean, listen, the box stops um, at the editor's desk. And, you know, sometimes when there are stories 
that you know you're you're quite sure that it's going to ruffle feathers when the story yeah. gets published and usually what happens is the editor has to be convinced that you know by the time this world comes i believe in this story and i think i'll be willing to defend the story to any length now in a yeah. situation where an editor is not totally convinced um about a story and for some reason doesn't think that should the heat come i i just might not find it in me to to defend um that story to the latter or put the organization through a litigation process or through you know some rigorous process to defend the story uh, does that yeah. question the judgment or the moral judgment of that editor or, or the editor is 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 at liberty to determine what battles he or she intends to pick yeah so see let's let's just say we're all humans um as editors as writers sometimes we make mistakes yeah and and sometimes we don't know we made a mistake. I, I, I saw like I saw excerpts of what he wrote where he dragged uh, he he mentioned he showed it, uh, a shoddy article done in this I think an opera. Yeah. And I saw the language. Come on. You are either doing a news report reportage or you're writing an opinion piece. That story was coming from both ends. It was like a bit of both. Yes. Decide what you want to do. Was he out to write an opinion piece? In which case, sometimes you can use the kind of language you want to use, but if it's a news report, you have to put the language down, which was where I saw the, 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 the founders, uh, which was where I, I saw the point where she was coming from, because she was like, the language was just incendiary, and the language was just, it was like, he put his personal bias into a news report, which you shouldn't do. Mm. <laughs> like, which a big journalism, it's like journalism 101. 101, Not yes. Try and take away your bias from, from whatever it is you are reporting. How does it be? how strongly <laughs> you feel about that subject, take away your bias from it. I read it, and even the, the, the title, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, is this a news report? I was confused. I was like, is this a news report? From bricks of paper on some opinion, because you have to you have to choose what you want to do from the beginning. I mean, you, you know, know that so you can't yeah. You, you, yeah you can't confuse the reader and say you are doing a news report. Then in the in the 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 the, the last two or three paragraphs it becomes it begins to sound like an, opinion. like an opinion. You have to decide what you want to do from the outset. I mean, yeah, you, you know, in in major in certain major media organizations, um, sometimes. Uh, I mean, I used to hold a column in a major um, newspaper organization. And then, you know, sometimes you're sending a headline and you have no liberty to determine uh, what headline is going to be published. is strictly at um, the editor's discretion. Um, yeah. Even senior writers wake up the next morning and see that um, their headlines have changed in the publication the next morning. And, and I mean, I think what I'm getting at is, I mean, does the editor owe the newsroom an explanation as to why he or she wants to change um, a yeah. headline, you know, or, he's, yeah. or he simply yeah. has the powers to veto it. I, I think the right thing to do is to call is to call the writer yes. and explain why uh, the headline needs to be changed. I think what, what, what the way it works, of course, you allow the writer to change it, mm. you know, because the writer wrote the story, so give the person a liberty to change it, give suggestions, you know, and watch if that person doesn't change it, you do it yourself. Mm. Because at the end of the day, the box stops with you. 
the, what people forget in this whole council culture thing on the internet is that, especially look at especially at polls, we get sued all the time. So you have to be very oh, yes, oh yes. I mean, and then when you're sued. Um, is the editor and, and, and the publisher yeah. who carries the can. <laughs> who carries it. You are, you are sued all the time. So you have to be very, very, very careful, especially for poor that people look like, oh, this is a big organization. Every little thing, we are getting, uh, uh, getting dragged to court. So we are very careful. Like that story, we, we made an editorial. We decided in-house um, not to go with it, not to run that story because it was it was too controversial and too sensitive at the time. And it looked like there were was a lot of contention about whether he actually used rape. Yes. Or whether he inferred rape. So, you know, sometimes you can avoid all of these things that just came out of the story. And that's what we like to we're like, let's watch to see where it goes before we actually report it. Um, Fisayo yeah. Soyombo, brilliant, um, you know, reporter and investigative journalist, uh, made a point where he argued, um, you know, and I quote him, where he said, "Doro's um, free-flowing defense would have resonated with me um, if the story came back up at some point." Um, I'm, I'm guessing yeah. you understand um, Fisayo's drift here—that okay, yeah, if yeah. indeed the, the problem with the story was the headline. Um, you could easily have tweaked the headline and expunged the paragraph you considered incendiary and then put the story back up. But the fact that the story did not go back up, um, you know, in the next um, 24, 48 hours um, draws a huge question mark. Do, do you buy that argument? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with Fisayo here. And I, I, that was also something I tweeted earlier today that what she would have done was after school or after they had the disagreement, disagreement over the phone where he now hung up, um, she would have made, made sure that I mean the story went back up. Educated mm. it herself. Yeah. But she she was she, she said that the, the time difference between New York and I mean between uh, the US and Nigeria made it very difficult for her. And what she did was to unpublish the story, like take it down, yes. and then when. Uh, she will have time to probably sit, I mean, sit down properly and 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 edit it. But um, there was a point there as well where she said she asked him to change the the headline, and I think that that sticking point here, he actually refused to, you know, to to change the headline, even though he brought down the other paragraph that were in, that had inflammatory information language and all of that. Yeah. But the headline came. So I, that that's why I have a point. Why would he? Even after the the founder um, and the and the editor in chief insisted that change the headline and remove rape from it because Bello did not really say use the word rape and that could that could open you up to all kinds so of litigations because uh, you know as as writers we can be passionate sometimes about yeah. what we want to pen down but at the other end. Um, of the stick is the fact that the people in question can sue you. And here's the funny yeah. thing, whether or not you win or lose the case in court, you would have to spend money um, hiring lawyers, you know, to defend exactly. your organization in court, which is a huge cost and, and no, for no, the organization. No publication, honestly, no publication likes to be sued. So if you can avoid it, just avoid it. I mean, that's the way it works. Exactly. I mean, this yeah. this brings us to, to a wider discussion about media censorship um, in Nigeria. 
um, and how many people have argued that a lot of the media organizations in Nigeria, in fact, they even go a step further to say most of the literary um, um, literature festivals or art festivals are sponsored by politicians who have an ulterior motive who to some extent are stifling free speech or censor censoring the media do you get a sense yeah. that um, the media space in nigeria especially the local media um, is heavily dominated by political actors who determine um, what 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 people read what people listen to and what people watch at the end of the day I, I think it's a stretch, actually, to say that politicians, um, is what is published in most uh, digital media houses, uh, I, I, I do know for, for a fact that, I mean, there are some politicians who who run media houses in this country. Uh, I, I won't even go into mentioning names, but there are politicians who are really, really invested in the media and they belong to the two dominant political parties. But um, I, I haven't been, I haven't heard from that I interact with colleagues a lot in this job. Um, I haven't heard them say this politician asked them to to write a story this way or to put up a story this way or put down a story. What politicians normally do, or I, I mean, from my own experience, what I know they do is that look, I just share my own side of the story when you are reporting the story. Mm. You give me to also respond so which is which is what I will advise uh, young journalists to always do if you are writing a story that is charged or, or that has a prominent politician in it do all you can you know to hear from from the politician who is the subject of your story give every side you know uh, it, it's a different thing when you try to reach them and, and I mean and it's impossible to reach them but I mean make an effort to always you, you know, hear their side of the story. And as for censorship from politicians, I think there are some blogs who, let's face it, it's very difficult to run media business. And sometimes there are some media houses that are just managing to stay afloat, uh, especially the blogs. Maybe sometimes these ones receive a little change from politicians, you know, to, to, to stay in business. But I don't think the established media houses uh, essentially run on political pictures. Yes, they get advice sometimes from politicians, but I don't think that is the substance, the entire substance of their of their business. They also get money from corporate organizations as well. Uh, and, I mean, and, allow and, me and, play the devil's advocate here. Um, yeah. Even in Western countries, um, you hear the talk about conservative media houses and liberal. Um, media houses and these organizations usually pursue divergent views um, I mean a simple example is um, you know the reporting between CNN and Fox News how both media organizations use um, the license of free speech to determine what um, to promote or to give a slant to their reporting um, yeah. And then, of course, you have you you have conservative talk show uh, radio hosts. You have liberal, um, you know, talk show hosts on radio across Western countries. So, so yeah. I think where I'm getting at is that um, is it really wrong um, for you know politicians, um, you know, to invest in media organizations as long as um, the editor in those media houses um, follow the standard 
procedure for reporting and ensure that um, the media is held accountable and fair reporting is the baseline um, exactly. for the engagement. I don't, I, don't think I don't even think that there's anything wrong with the politician flashing on media. Um, like like you, you, you rightly said, in developed democracies, we have the, the left-leaning and the right-leaning media houses, and everybody knows that. You know, so I, I think if I think if politicians want to bring the same thing to Nigeria, we shouldn't fight it. Even though I, I think that sometimes uh, the, the reason why it's difficult in Nigeria is that the the, the ide uh, political ideological lines are quite blurred. Mm. So sometimes um, you don't know what uh, PDP, for instance, stands for, and you don't know what APC stands for, <laughs> or what Labour Party really stands for. So sometimes. <laughs> You know, so if we want to make it, if we want to bring the American system into Nigerian media, it would be difficult to tell who, what exactly, um, for instance, if this is PDP or APC or if the nation is APC or PDP or if channels is. So because the ideological lines from the major political parties are actually, you can't tell one from the other. So that's, that's where the difficulty is. But yeah, you're right. Um, politicians can always invest in media. There's nothing ethically wrong about that. As long as um, they do not they do not interfere with the editorial slant or the house style of the media house, you know, in question. I mean you have been in the media for, for quite a while now and, and I think um, you've seen the business side of it and of course the reportage part of it. And I'd like to ask you if you think that um, a subscription model in Nigeria is going to work to the extent that um, people, um, the average Nigerian is willing to pay for content. Um, you know, you take, for instance, Pulse, where you work, where you open up yeah. a model where people can pay annually or monthly to be able to subscribe yeah. to certain, um, you know, quality of content from you. Do you think that is feasible in Nigeria in the nearest um, uh, future, or we just maybe, um, maybe, yeah. we just want to consume everything for free, or you think that the Nigerian demography is so so poor that you know we cannot afford a subscription? Because except there is some sort of a subscription model where citizens yeah. drive journalism, it will be difficult. Um, yeah. to hold journalists to account because you do not pay for the quality of the reporting that you get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and let's, let's be honest, it, it's, um, it's going to be very difficult right now for, for an average media house in Nigeria to say you have to pay for content. They're going to, they're going to run, like, you're going to close shop, essentially, <laughs> because people are not willing to pay for anything. I mean, this is a country where people are avoiding paying taxes because they don't want to pay for electricity. And now you will tell them <laughs> they should pay for, to read. I mean, they're <laughs> just going to tell you, oh, you can do without your, and find the nearest uh, blog that gives them the same information, even without the, the same quality. So it's, I think it's still a long way to go in terms of, Subscription model in Nigeria. It's going to take a while. Um, it also has to do with our literacy level. Um, let's face it, even those of us in urban, or in, in, who live in urban areas in Nigeria, not everybody uh, is educated. The literacy level is still, is still very low. The illiteracy level is high. The literacy level is still very low. So, until we get to that point where um, there are fundamental issues as well, poverty, I mean, how much do you want people to pay? They are going to tell you, I'm going to use that money to eat instead. And, and talk, talking the literacy, I don't have to consume your content, you know. 
So it's still a long way to go before we start having this conversation. And I don't think that there's any, I think only business that I can say that have that model for now. Uh, I don't know how that is doing for them, but I don't think there's any media house that is saying that you have to pay for. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's funny. Um, professor Oriola, I think a professor of um, African studies, once argued that um, Africans and Nigerians cannot speak highly of human rights or citizens' rights, especially rights that they have not fought for. Um, that countries where they talk so much about human rights are countries where citizens fought and earned those rights. Um, and I think the same thing goes for journalism. Um, when you see people or when you see citizens de de decide to um, take back their New York Times subscription, um, it's because they are upset about a reporting um, or a slant in the story. And they feel, yeah. I mean, we pay for this, this reporting and we pay for your media organizations to survive. Yeah. And so yeah. if you're going um, clearly off track, we have a right to pull out our subscription. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. that does not happen here. So, so, I mean, help me understand the hysteria when a lot of people on the other end are still not willing to pay for the content. And then there's a massive yeah. hysteria when the reporting goes wrong. Um, and on, exactly. on several on, on several clowns. Sometimes I see the hysteria when um, you know newspapers do stories and say, for instance, a popular female millionaire, billionaire was cooking in the kitchen for her husband. You see a lot of vitriol and anger as to why an editor will use that for a headline. But then you wonder for a yeah. second, would you pay a subscription to that news organization so that you can be part of you know, at least to some extent of the decision making of the organization, but we don't pay for yeah, this content. So that, we don't yeah, do so that, anything, and then we expect we yeah, exactly. um, setting standards. So, where where can we find the balance in, in all of this? It's, 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 it's sometimes it's laughable the kind of outrage we see on social media, and I'm talking Twitter here because the same people who who are clamoring today that digital paper should cease to function as a business or who are in debt to brutal paper. I'm not going to pay to read brutal paper. So, I mean, you know, we have to decide. I mean, and, 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 and I'm guessing that most people on Twitter are the educated, uh, belong to the, uh, to the educated uh, end of the spectrum. But the same people who are shouting out, who are cancel, who want to cancel brutal paper, yeah. ask the same people to subscribe to read brutal paper. And only a few would do it. You know, so we we have to, we don't really know what we want. You, you know, uh, at this point, and we have to be very very tolerant of our. Like you said, we are not subscribing, and we are asking that you, we are demanding a certain standard from from media houses. I mean, if 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 for instance, uh, British paper is, is sued by Opera News, which has a lot of money, and and DC, and um, and sued by by the Aerofile. How many people on Twitter are going to say, okay, let's contribute to for, for their for, for their legal bills? Only a few. They are just going to abandon the the founder and the, the platform to their fate. Mm. You know. So let's stop all these people. We haven't, like you said before, we haven't reached that stage where we start demanding some kind of quality or standard from journalism, and we should. This outrage, this purity culture, we need to also look in the mirror. Some of us who demand, who are always quick to condemn, quick to 
with the council culture. We need to also look ourselves in the mirror and say, what have I done in the big, as an individual to improve journalism in, in, in Nigeria or to improve the media space? You know, so we are always quick to counsel, but we are not making the kind of sacrifices we should be making as yeah. people to yeah. elevate, the, elevate the journalism to the kind of quality, uh, to the kind of standard we want. So, yeah. That's, I mean, um, I mean, while I while I think that this issue could have been handled um, better um, internally, um, and I think it's an editorial issue, I have a lot of um, sympathy for um, the founder of the organization because um, you know the amount of vitriol and um, condemnation that that you know media organization has come on in the last forty-eight hours has been unbelievable. Um, people yeah. are pulling out their stories and people, um, I mean, it's essentially destroying 10, 10 years of hard work. And, and I feel so terrible. And I, and I don't think that um, this is what we should aspire to be. We, we can express our discontent with issues. Um, but, but I think on this, um, we have gone a bit too far. And it's essentially um, destroying somebody's hard work um, over 10 years. Um, over for 10 years, right? which is what I really felt for her because, I mean, I know how tough, like, I, I really know how tough it is for digital media to survive. <laughs> of course, <laughs> we're, we're, we're both in the media space, so we understand these things. So, and, and that's why I felt a huge right pain now, um, as we for speak, her. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, um, media houses are laying off workers. Yes. There's no money coming in. Yes. Or they're cutting salaries. So you look at all of this and you see people saying they want to destroy a brand that has worked for a decade to get to the level it is right now. I mean, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't because I mean, you also are going to become an editor someday, and you're probably going to have your own organization, yeah. and you'd expect to protect the integrity of that institution, and you'd want to give orders and expect people to toe the line. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, in in all of us, all of us who've had some sort of career in the media space have had certain disagreements with our bosses or you know our senior colleagues. Yeah. Um, but we've ensured that we've we've kept them internal, um, you know, to preserve the organization and not simply what throw. in the newsroom? <laughs> always <And> should, <laughs> say, should always say. like in my in my organization we argue all the time oh, yes. about everything, and that is is from those kind of heated debates that you grow, that you improve, and quality improves. You know, so debates are a norm. Like in polls, we have this thing on the board that reads. A quiet newsroom is work. Mm. You know, so we encourage people to always debate about the tiniest of things. So the polls on an average day is like a market square where everybody, you bring an opinion, everybody criticizes it as loudly as possible. And then you go back, sit on your, uh, sit uh, with your computer and draft the story and write the story. You know, that is the kind of <laughs> newsroom <laughs> culture that, that, so I was a bit, I was taken aback that somebody, I mean, he, maybe they have a history of disagreements and, you know, bad uh, bad blood. Otherwise, I don't see how a, this whole thing should have spiraled into a Twitter conversation. Yeah. That was my own disappointment because this is something that happens in almost every newsroom across the world or in this country every day. Exactly. You know? 
I mean, it's been a fascinating conversation with you. I enjoyed every bit of it. Um, thank you yeah, for thank finding you. time to to join this podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.